William. Benjamin. Prayer continues. Prayer does continue. It's an ongoing thing. Very, very wise. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, welcome back. We are on episode two of season four or five or something. We don't even know. We should look that up. Yeah. It just the I think the COVID season confused everything because we were we were pretty like we did a season on Sabbath. We yes. did the first season on habits, second season on Sabbath, third season on self awareness, fourth season mysterious ah, yes. scattered COVID season, fifth season prayer. Perfect. Perfect. Makes sense. Very orderly. Yep. Very thought out. Yep. Yeah, we're just good at like it. just like you like to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get into this episode. I think we should read a review oh, come on. from one of our faithful listeners. We got a, we haven't read any for a while and we've got a few that have backed up. So if you listen to the next few episodes and you were a reviewer, you will be read out yes. at some point. And if you if you make a review now, we'll read it out at we some will. point. We will. Maybe people haven't been doing as many reviews because we haven't been staying true to our word of that, reading them. That must be the reason. <laughs> anyway, David J.H., we're pretty sure we haven't read this before, but there is a slim chance that we have. But it's a very good and heartwarming yeah, sentiment that deserves to be said again. So, David J.H., if you're listening, thank you so much. Wisdom beyond their years. Series three. As I listened, I was nearly in tears of joy. So authentic, so helpful, so knowledgeable. Thank you for the reading you must do to make this contemporary and satisfying the needs of millennials and Gen Z with something of substance, and yet still teaching someone who is at the total of each of your ages. That's one of my favorite that reviews. Is, that is extremely heartwarming. Thank you. Thank you, David. It is, honestly, it's those, those reviews and the texts we get and the engagement in our Facebook group. It's, it's good. It keeps us going. Mm. We're almost, by the time this episode is out, dare I say we will have crossed this line, but we're getting close to around 10,000 listens. We will definitely, uh, by the time this is out, we'll definitely be over that. Yeah, way over, probably 100,000 listens well, by the time this 10, is out. Well, happy 10,000, guys, because it's happening probably as you're listening to this. Yeah. No, it's probably just happened. Yeah. Congratulations, Congratulations to whoever was on, the 10,000th <laughs> listener. How can, can we track them down? Is that possible? I don't know. Okay. We could pray. We could pray that God would yeah. turn, them, turn them up. Yeah. Which if brings you, us to. If you think you're the 10,000th listener. I think you should post it in the in the community group. Yes. Yeah. This episode we're going to dive into. Well, you don't want to talk about <laughs> more about the 10,000th listener? No, we've probably lost all our listeners by <laughs> <Okay>. this point. <laughs> Will's trying to change the subject. I'm, I'm caught on the 10,000. No, carry on. It's a significant number. <laughs> it is. 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing as Matt Redman or. Bless the Lord. Bless him. Oh, my soul. But, but there are also 10,000 reasons to struggle with prayer. There are. One could say. And we, you very quickly run into, if you, if you start to think about some of the challenges we, challenges we face in prayer, you can divide them roughly into two categories. There Five, are 5,000 each. Yep. Yeah. There are 5,000 practical challenges to prayer. Yes. When do I pray? Yes. How do I pray? I get bored. My mind is yeah, super monkey I have an mind. IPhone. Yeah, all of that. Practical I've got kids. Yeah, yeah. And then there are the philosophical. Yes. You know, does God actually hear? Yes. Does He care? Yes. Does prayer change me? Yes. Does it change God? 
if God's in control, what's the point? Yes. And this is what this episode is about. We're going to really drill down into the philosophical challenges and it should be said that this episode will probably have some stories and some questions that are seriously difficult and you may uh, relate to uh, some of these. They, they may bring up things for you that are unresolved mm. and are really painful and bring up great grief. So just want to kind of give you a heads up that this is going to get a bit heavy mm. and we think that's important. We think that's a healthy thing. But um, before we go any further, I think it's important just to prime, prime us for that. Yeah. Absolutely. And feel free to reach out to us or someone else, your pastor, whoever it is, and uh, have some good conversations about this stuff if it's, um, if it's something you're wrestling with. Yeah, and it's interesting. We were talking just before over a coffee about the idea that when, when we open up some of these really difficult questions, for some people you might not be asking these questions and your prayer life might be humming along just fine and we kind of don't want to accidentally careen you into a windmill of out of control yeah. questions. But one of the things we're talking about is that um, being, being led into those difficult questions with safe people in a sense of community makes a world of difference. Yeah. I'm a fundamental believer that no question is off limits and, you know, in true gospel community, every person should be, should be welcomed as they are yes. and should find a safe place of inclusion, whatever they bring. So if, if this does create some new questions for you, please uh, reach out and let's journey together. Yeah, absolutely. And I was having a conversation with someone in our church on Saturday over a walk around some of this stuff around prayer and the philosophical wrestles of that. And, and they were really struggling. You know, they, they were really struggling with this. And um, the thing I was saying to them as well is that um, when you are wrestling with these, you've got to find some safe people to have conversations with it because some people just aren't ready to have uh, some of these questions mm. for someone who's not struggling can seem like an attack on, mm. on them and they can become defensive. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's when all sorts of, um, you know, heartbreaking stuff happens in terms of people and their faith mm. and deconstruction. So make sure you find some safe people if you're yeah. going to have these conversations. As I well. think we often assume and we, we, we project onto people, our assumptions, and we think that every single person, roughly speaking, is, is on the same wavelength as us, has had yeah. the same experience as us, has, you know, and we look around a room of people that look roughly the same age or something and we think we're all at the same place. Yeah. But every single person's faith journey is unique and you might have a room of people that are the same age, for example, but some somebody's faith might be like childlike five-year-old faith and somebody's faith might be going through a midlife crisis and somebody's faith might be kind of angsty teenage faith and that's actually healthy and normal. What, and important. Yeah. Each of those stages are important in yep. growing up, right? For sure. Yeah. You can go back and listen to our episode on stages and seasons of faith if you want to hear more about that. But Benj, what, what's a story for you that kind of captures the philosophical or, or one, one of the philosophical problems you've had in the world of prayer? Yeah, so we were talking about this this morning and I was telling you the story of uh, my friends and um, probably, you know, a lot of our listeners actually might know this guy or a good portion of our listeners. His, um, his name was Seth and uh, he, was, he was my youth leader growing up. He was my connect group leader incredibly influential on my life, on my faith formation um, and, and, a, and a whole host of other people. Mm. 
Um, and he unfortunately got diagnosed with uh, bowel cancer. And um, uh, it was it was a, a pretty um, traumatic time for our whole church community and obviously some people mm. more than others and closer, you know, there's, there's a whole uh, web and network of different effects that has. And I remember, you know, our church at the time, you know, praying and really believing mm. uh, for his healing and, um, you know, would have events and prayer meetings. And I remember uh, one day, so Seth was in hospital and uh, someone from our our church came up to me, well-meaning, beautiful person, but they said to me, I really got the sense that um, if you go and pray for Seth and you go and lay his your hands on him, then he'll be healed. And so I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty full on. And so I went in to hospital, laid my hands on Seth, prayed for him, and then not long after that he died. And uh, it's things like that that um it it does it messes messes with you you yeah. know and uh you know you start to wrestle and and ask questions you know I was thinking about the life of Jesus and you know every single person he prayed for was healed and yet there's there's that moment in Gethsemane where he's like father take this cup away from me like I don't I don't want to go to the cross mm. and he still goes to the cross, you know. That that prayer actually wasn't answered for Jesus. Mm. And he walked past a lot of sick people. And like, he did. Like, and he did. yeah, every person he prayed for was healed, but he didn't heal every person in the regions that he walked through. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then yeah. my other thought that I often think is every person he healed died at some point later. So, I mean, there's so many questions about about, about the effects of prayer, but... I find that that actually useful to look at the life of Jesus and think he experienced unanswered prayer mm. and also that the healing that God offers if we really have a robust Christian hope is more than the healing of a leg or mm. eyesight or mm. uh, even cancer Yeah, because there's something about the fact that every person throughout history that has experienced healing will still experience death. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that brings to mind for me that we do very often have a very narrow, you know, postmodern view of, uh, you know, what's right in front of us or what's perceived in the future. Mm. And we can pray for someone. And sometimes we lose sight of the, the bigger cosmic story mm. that, that Jesus is, has resurrected and he's resurrecting all things mm. and that he is um, creating, making all things new. Yes. You know, Mel and I, we, we recently had a miscarriage. And, um, you know, I'd pray, I'd pray for our little baby, mm. you know, um, often pray for protection and healing. And 12 weeks, you know, we had a, a miscarriage. And, um, you know, one of the things that has helped me so much is, or prayer in a few different forms, actually. So, so the day that we, got the scan. It was an emergency scan and they told us, you know, the baby hadn't grown um, mm. since the last scan. And Mel and I, um, you know, we had to go to hospital later, but we, after the scan, we drove to the beach and we're just, you know, crying and processing. And um, one of the habits I've had is the fixed hour prayer. Mm. And three o'clock comes around and it's time to pray the blessing. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we just found out we'd lost this little baby 
and I was able to, or actually I wasn't able to, Mel was able to somehow, but pray the blessing over our little baby. The Lord bless you mm. and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Um, which was, uh, that was one of those things that was like the, the dichotomy and the paradox of like those mm-hmm. words at the, at that moment. And, you know, every day since then, you know, the 3 PM blessing prayer reminds me of that moment. Mm. Um, but I've just found again, so much hope in the story of resurrection that, mm. you know, in every, you know, the cross tells us that in every loss and grief, there is the hope of resurrection. Mm. And Jesus is making all things new. Revelation 21 says, God, behold, I'm making everything new. Mm. I'm making all things new. And that there is a a larger story at at play, Mm. you know, more than just this moment and this prayer that didn't seem to get answered. Um, But at the same time, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing honestly. You know, I really appreciate that. And grieve for you and with you Mm. in that because – I find myself often in these conversations going to, uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, resurrection. And there's a truth in that and we want to maintain that impulse, but we can almost use that to actually run away from really genuinely wrestling with or sitting in the the despair and the grief. And I think there's there's a huge maturity and spiritual growth in being able to sit in that stuff without trying to explain it away. Yeah. And so it's a, again, it's a paradox because I'm like, yes, resurrection, yes, hope, yes, all things new, yes, restoration beyond our wildest dreams, mm. and yes, a child has passed away, or mm. you know, a friend has has died, mm. or a prayer has gone unanswered that seems incredibly unjust. Yeah, and the weight of that stuff, we should feel it. The yeah. weight of injustice in the world, the weight of loss and grief, because you know, surely, if God is what I think God is like. God feels the grief in that. Mm. God is is there in tears with us in those situations. Yeah, and that's that's what the life of Jesus tells us, right? Yeah, and that's part of the philosophical problem of prayer is so much of it comes down to what do you think God is like and yes. what do our disappointments in prayer lead us to to question in the very nature and heart of God. Yes. And... Um, I still fundamentally believe God is is good and and loving, but certainly these are the kind of things that asks uh, cause us to ask some big questions. I mean, for me, one of the it's kind of on the flip side of those stories that you shared. But when Noah was very little, our now almost five year old, he just was the worst sleeper ever. And I remember getting to some of the like the most sleep deprived, tortured states of mind I've ever experienced. You know, it's three in the morning and you've had this like constantly interrupted sleep for months on end and, you know, this child is screaming like a banshee. And I remember like crying out desperately to God, you know, Mm. like real angry, like end of myself kind of prayers, Mm. like just give us sleep, like just fix this kid kind Mm. of vibes. And if you're a sleep-deprived parent, I'm sure you can relate to that. But there was this other part of my mind that was going – if you answer this and this baby sleeps, but you don't answer those prayers for people who have cancer or kids around the world tonight, I kept thinking, I was like, I'm parenting a child in all the privilege of, you know, 21st century Australia. Mm. 
you know, yes, he's crying, but he's not malnourished. You know, he's, he's got a loving home to grow up in. There are kids dying right now of preventable illnesses around the world. And so that was kind of like, for me, it was almost like I didn't want God to answer my prayer that seemed like it was insignificant yeah. compared to those more life and death scenarios. And that yeah. was one of the things that kind of made, you know, you can, you can extrapolate out from this. There are these, you know, things that have happened, the Toronto blessing and things yeah. like that and people that end up with gold teeth. And I kind of go, why does that person get gold teeth or yeah. whatever that random miracle is that occurs and that other person passes away from a horribly painful illness? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. And, and you know, I've, I've experienced both both sides of, of that. I've seen God do the miraculous. I remember that a friend of ours, uh, we were meant to go to a concert. We were sort of young, like 18, 19, Snow Patrol uh, concert. Yes. Remember concerts? Chasing cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember concerts and I remember that smash hit from the <laughs> early 2000s. And a friend of ours was meant to come with us and she rang up and said like, oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. I don't think I can come. And we're like, oh, suck it up. You know, it's like you've already bought the ticket. Let's just, mm. let's just do it. And uh, she didn't end up coming. And then um, basically the next day in hospital and then coma. Um, induced coma because there was a really rare brain disease and they were saying like it's really unlikely she's going to wake up and if she wakes up like the chances of her having you know full function of her body and stuff is very very low Mm. and the same thing same church we prayed you know and people went to the hospital bed and and she woke up Mm. and then they're like she's woken up but she might not be able to walk again um and she walks, you know, like, and it's just like this incredible moment and the doctors are baffled. Um, and you, you know, you experience both of those things. Like mm. it's the, it's the, you know, Jesus wept when Lazarus died, mm. but he also raised him from the dead, mm. you know, and Jesus on the cross said, God, why have you forsaken me? And yet there's beautiful things come out of it as well. Yeah. Which so, makes me think you can't, you can't universalize your experience. No. If you've experienced wonderful healing and miraculous things in prayer, that is fantastic and I don't want you to lose that. But you then can't like project that onto every other situation and just tell people have more faith or this is how it will work out. At the same time, if you've had those tragic and horrible experiences of, of loss and disappointment in prayer, you also can't universalize that because there are people that experience these beautiful, wonderful gifts of yeah. grace. And in many ways, it's kind of one of the the underlying bedrock foundations of my faith is that it's all grace. Like the very breath in your lungs today is grace. And to have life in any form is somewhat of a gift. And people might have different philosophical views on that, but yeah. that's kind of one of the things that I guess I come back to is um, probably where I sit existence at all is gift, Yeah, but then it's messy yeah. how it, how it plays out. I think, I think one of the biggest questions that I that I experience and in, in my conversations with people is if God is in control, you know, often people say that a lot, you know, God's in control. Mm. God's got it. Um then it makes those times when it seems like God intervenes and there's healing or miraculous breakthrough of some sort. Um incredible. But then on the flip side there's times when God's been in control 
and he's not done anything. And um, I think that is a that is a real wrestle, and it's an attack on the ta- the char- character of God, mm. which I think, from my experience, is like is one of the one of the biggest reasons for people losing their faith is who do I actually believe God is? Um, is he up there manipulating everything, choosing, you know, who he wants healed, who he wants to go to heaven, who he wants to go to hell, you know, like, or uh, is he impotent and he doesn't have any control? Um, and then there's probably degrees all along that spectrum. Oh, yeah. There's kind of like the all loving but powerless caricature of God. And then there's the all powerful but seemingly very unloving yeah. caricature of God. And then there's this whole spectrum in the middle. And this, I guess, how we wrestle with this question will lead us to understand how do those dynamics between God's power and God's kind of abilities and then God's love and God's relational nature, like how do we conceive of that? And there's going to obviously be some level of, of paradox, mystery and unknowability here. Yeah. But there are some helpful ways that people think about this. Um, you were telling me before, you know, kind of if, you, if you're thinking about the, like a Calvinist view uh, versus a Wesleyan view, yep. there's a bit of a distinction there in how they think about this. Do you want to share a bit about yeah, that? Yeah, so this is around, so, so Calvinism is a way of thinking about uh, the Bible. It's a stream, strong stream of theology often found in um, reformed evangelical churches. Um, and sort of the, the big outcome of that way of thinking is, uh, what people call predestination that, um, and, and you pick this up from, you know, a bit of Romans and some other writings of Paul where, you know, God, um, creates people determining who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell. The elect. The elect and those sort of damned. The reprobates. Um, and then there's the Arminiist view or um, a Wesleyan view, which I probably more ascribe to, uh, which is a little stronger on free will. So so if, if you would take the predestination Calvinist thing, the big overarching theme is the sovereignty of God, which means God is in control. Um, whereas, you know, the Wesleyan view, it's a bit more um, based on actually that my actions really matter. I have, I have choice. I can actually choose to love God rather than God has chosen me to love him. Um, and, and God honors your creaturely free will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a good way I've heard that explained is because you see both examples of that in, in the text and in the script, in the scriptures, mm. which is why there's people with divergent views and you can come to a thoughtful view, a well, you know, researched intellectual scripturally based view either side. Yes. Um, which is I often the problem, right? <laughs> On these issues of it is the problem. contention, you know, we need to have a level of humility because you can construct a, what seems like a robust argument either yes. way most of the time. That's right. Yeah. Um, a, but a good way to think about it, I think is that the, the kind, of, kind of more Wesleyan free will kind of view views, ever, chooses to view the rest of scripture through the lens of the love of God. Whereas the, uh, Calvinist predestination view tends to view all of scripture through the sovereignty of God, the power of God. Mm. Um, And when both of those things exist, I think it's a helpful metaphor to think about what lens am I going to pick up? What lens am I going to hold onto 
to view all my questions through and all my wrestles through. Um, and like you were saying, I, I sort of, wherever you sit and land on some of those theological things, and I think it's, it's fine to land on any way, and I think it's important that we allow people to uh, land on different ways on different issues and not demonize them or, mm. or, or just, you know, stick in your tribe or whatever it is, but be exposed to all different views. Um, but the thing I just keep coming back to is like, I want to view everything through the love of God and, and my sense of personal experience and encounter with Jesus and the spirit and uh, use that as a launching pad to, mm. to launch into some of those questions and wrestles, but come yeah. from the primary, the, the anchor point that actually God is loving and God is good. Yeah, 100%. That's that's my angle and my approach. And, you know, if we were to do a bit more justice to the Calvinist view, we'd probably need to get another person at this table yes. um, because, yeah, all, all cards on the table. For me, God's love is is the primary lens and what I believe is, is revealed in Jesus is, is God's uh, lean towards mercy and love mm-hmm. over judgment and control. Yeah. Um, one way to think about this, we're going to explore a couple of different ones in a moment, but, you know, I think about um, uh, like a hierarchy of values. Mm. And, for example, in the church I've recently started with with my wife Sam and with a few friends of ours, Meeting Ground, you know, our first value is inclusion, but it's a value that is about the inclusion of people who are vulnerable or who have had a difficult experience in faith community or have some some wounds or some frustrations in their in their faith life and to be inclusive of that group of people there are actually moments where we need to be exclusive mm. where we need to actually have some protection in place so that those people actually have a safe and refreshing experience of a faith community so our value of inclusion actually gets kind of trumped at times by another value of of how that is played out with the kind of people that we're for. Mm. And so I think as well that happens, we might, you know, have, God might have a, a particular value around, uh, well, a, a moral issue, for example, where God's desire is that no human ever hurts another human, no, mm. no human steals from or murders from or, or lies to another person. But God also potentially has this deep overriding value of uh, relational love, mm. which requires the capacity for um, genuine choice. Mm. And once you've got the capacity for genuine choice, you have to be able to actually hurt people. Mm. And there's a C.S. Lewis, uh, I think, in The Problem of Pain, which is C.S. Lewis's kind of book around some of this stuff. He talks about if every time, like imagine I went to hit you with a stick bench, and God immediately turned that stick into like water or jelly before it hits your head, so I can never do harm to you, then I actually don't have any free will Mm. because even though I might be able to pick it up, I can never follow through my negative actions, Mm. meaning that my sense of choice or free will in that sense is an illusion. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Now, I'm not, I'm not putting these images out there or a lot of the stuff I'm saying, I'm not saying it's necessarily how it is or what I believe. Yeah. Or just you've got to grapple with how some of this stuff plays out. Yeah, and I think I think it's important as well when you wrestle with anything like this, it's important to, to uh, work out and decide like what really is at the core of your faith, like what mm. really is a make or break thing. 
which for me, like it's, it's that group of things is getting smaller and smaller. Mm. Um, and being able to wrestle and see other viewpoints on, on all the rest of the stuff. Um, and I think a lot of it is, you know, some of the wrestles and stuff is, um, a very tribal thing. And I think tribes are really important. Like, you know, growing up in the jungle or whatever it is, like it's important to have a tribe because, you know, when a lion comes, you're safer in a tribe. Um, but now because we're so much less connected to place and village, our tribes are all formed by ideologies, mm. by the things that we sort of ascribe to. And um, some of this stuff can be really difficult because if you start to question some of the things that your tribe believes. You're an ideological lion. Yes. Yeah, you, you can become ostracized from, from, the, from the tribe. You're a threat to the ideology of the tribe. And I think that's why it's been um, just such, uh, you know, choppy waters for, for Christians to really wrestle with some of this stuff in a safe way because some of it touches on some sore points of the tribes. Yeah, and you um, feel like if I, if I articulate what I'm really thinking, I will be exiled. Yeah. And uh, our heart for sure, you know, I, th- I think I speak for both of us, is to try and create the sort of environments where if somebody is accepted and loved and belongs in community, then um, yes, there are things that bind that community together and there are healthy values that we need to kind of ensure are prioritized. Like I was mentioning before, those values are important. But at the same time, I never want to be quick to kick somebody out based on them putting into words a thought that they're having. Yeah. And Jesus was very good at this. Like, so you think about, all the people that should have been in Jesus' tribe. He, Jesus was a Pharisee as far as we know. And, you know, the reason there's so many interactions with Jesus and Pharisees is because, like, that was his tribe. That was his, like, mm. that was his, you know, religious ideology, ideological, ideological tribe. Yes. That's, that's the people that he hung around. And probably he agreed with a lot of their theology. And thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just certain points that he didn't. Um and and probably in terms of lifestyle and the way that they lived, like that that was sort of, you know, closer to the way that Jesus lived as well. And yet Jesus said a lot of those people were sort of on the outs and a lot of the people that you didn't think would be on the ins are on the ins because mm. it's it's about direction, not about, you know, it's called a, a bounded or a centered set. It's about mm. the direction towards the center. If the center is Jesus which way you're facing. It doesn't really matter how far away you are, mm. but you can be really close to the center. You can be a Pharisee and live all the right ways, but be pointed away from the center. Yep. And so it's, it's less about being within the boundary of like, these are the certain things that we believe. Mm. Yes or no. This is how we think about the sovereignty of God or the love of God or free will or whatever it is. Uh, homosexuality, you know, all those hot button things. Um, but it's more about actually, are you, moving towards Jesus or are you moving away from Jesus? Yeah. And I think when it comes down to like the philosophical questions of prayer and the related philosophical questions around suffering, um, you and I aren't going to resolve those questions. Oh, no way. Nobody's going to. What I think is important is that you have some mental resources to allow you to continue to experience your faith. At the end of the day, I don't think it's about coming to the correct answer it's about is there a way of thinking about this that can allow me to continue to actually live a life where I can love myself, love my neighbor, and love God? 
and and not have an answer but have a way of thinking about this that helps me to continue to move forward because the, the, a philosophical problem gets you stuck. Yeah. And again, the way to get out of that is not through resolving the philosophical problem necessarily but having some options and humbly allowing for some level of mystery. Yeah, absolutely. One and, of, and, and to realise I'm never going to have perfect theology. Yep. As much as I think I want to and as much as I think I've thought through all my theology, all my philosophy, mm. like it's it's just literally impossible for anyone to hold truth like that. And, and it's not and the if, goal. The goal that having right. perfect theology is is the aim of Christianity is a theological position yeah. that I disagree with. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for having well thought through and considered theology that honours scripture and experience and, and community and the voices of trusted people. All of that's great. But at the end of the day, the point of following Jesus is not to have perfect theology. Yeah, It's to have, um, you know, a life that looks like the Jesus life. Yeah. And if we look at Jesus's life, um, we can even see philosophical questions that arise from it. But very clearly we see a life that is shaped by love, a, sh- a life that is shaped by generosity, a life that is shaped by proclaiming a yeah. kingdom that is different to the kingdoms we see around us. And yeah, what's going to help you to continue to move on that train? Yeah. One thing that has helped me lately, and I have to say, again, I'm not sure what I think about this stuff. I'm still exploring it. But um, we've talked a bit about this idea of open and relational theology, which is kind of uh, a growing but probably still minority viewpoint that people have um, in kind of the theological land of different writers and thinkers and um but it's been helpful because for me it's just simply it's simply raised another viewpoint through which to think about some of this yeah. and to test it out and go what what are the what do you lose with a viewpoint like this and what yeah. do you gain? Uh, but one of the big kind of thinkers in this area is a guy named Thomas J. Ord, and he particularly talks about open and relational theology in regards to these problems of healing prayers and, and miracles and um, that whole dichotomy you're talking about between God's God's love and God's power. And the idea in a nutshell, I'm sure there are people that could do a much better job of this than me, but my understanding of open theology is that traditionally, you know, most traditional theologies have talked about all these omnis. God is omnipresent, mm. meaning he's everywhere at once. God is omniscient, meaning he's all powerful. Um, one of the, the key ideas in that kind of theology and in that idea of God's sovereignty and control is that God is outside of time and knows the future. One of the ideas that kind of puts a spanner in that works in open and relational theology is the idea that maybe nobody knows the future. Maybe the nature of the future is actually unknowable and God is in the present with us and is all knowing with the number of things that can be known, but the future is not one of them. Mm. The reason for having a view like this is about the priority of God as a relational God. So for God to be relational, we think about our relationships, they actually... Being bound in the present moment is a key part of a relationship Mm. where you can choose love Mm. because you're not choosing love based on the outcome 20 years from now. You're working towards a certain outcome, but actually there's some level of vulnerability in loving without knowing. So I find this idea quite helpful because basically what it says is that God is constantly working with all of his power for, uh, for the outcomes of flourishing and kingdom in the world and certainly things uh, 
within that framework can still can still have an incredibly powerful God, um, but God is not actually dictating the future. It's mm. being outworked in every moment with his creation, within a genuine relationship where yeah, we have partnership. an interaction and, and the opportunity to collaborate or to reject. Yeah. Yeah. How does it strike you hearing of you like that? Oh, it's 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 definitely interesting. I'm definitely like I'm I'm I think I'm learning more and more just to be inquisitive about all things and be like I was saying before um being uh really strong about the core of what I want to hold on to mm. but not pretending to have a monopoly on theology about every every little thing mm. and I think just so important like again I think we talked about it earlier but um oftentimes when we're wrestling with an idea of faith or about who God is it's often not actually against God it's against the bubble of the little stream of Christianity that we find ourselves in. Mm. And the more that we can branch out and, and, and see, you know, what different people have thought through time, it's just all helpful. You know, it's helpful just to go, there's just so many ways of thinking about this. For sure. And we don't need to crucify people for thinking differently about different things. Yeah, well, my immediate thought, even describing something like open and relational theology, I feel a bit like, you know, I can feel the the sniper's rifle trained on this heretic. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, someone somewhere is is like immediately jumping to the defensive. Yeah, and what I think about because because I can think in my mind, I'm like, I know the kind of knockdown arguments that somebody could immediately come at that view with. Mm. I know that they're immediately going to go, well, if God's not in control, then how do we actually trust that mm. that God is going to lead things into renewal and that mm. God wins? I mean, if the future is unknowable, what if? What if it actually doesn't work out the yeah. way that um, the Christians have always believed? So there's kind of these knockdown sort of arguments. But then my response is, but the view that most of us swim in and, and live and breathe in, there are also knockdown arguments against it yeah. around, oh, you know, absolutely. like, well, if God does know the future and God has predestined everything, all of this suffering puts a big question mark on the, the goodness and character of God. Yeah. So I think the humility to recognize that actually – everybody's kind of defending a view that has some potential holes to be poked in it is helpful to not crucify the other. It's a bit of a log and spec situation, you know, in your eye type thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is really interesting. Is, is it open and relational theism that talks about how, um, so they think that God actually can't or won't break the laws of physics. Is that the same stream of thought? So there's a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And like all, like all views, there's going to be, a range of subviews. Some people who are open and relational theists um, will have that view that God is not going to break the law of physics. Yeah. Um, so, so God, God will uh, work towards the good of all creation, but using the laws of physics. He yeah. won't like break in and say, "I'm going to speed up this this particular, you know, um, uh, healing system in your in in your body mm. or whatever." Yeah. It's interesting. Which but is interesting. I, I don't know how that sits with. Jesus and resurrection and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I don't think that's a requirement. Sure. I think there would be, again, different expressions. Like everything. Um, like everything. <laughs> the the big, I think the big, one of the big themes, the, this Thomas J. Ord, he's kind of got an academic book called The Uncontrolling Love of God and then a more accessible kind of book for the plebs called God Can't. For us. Yeah, yeah. for us. <laughs> but that even in that title, The Uncontrolling Love of God, yeah. It's this idea that, well, what does it mean to be loving? 
And one conception of love is that actually it means to be non-coercive. Yeah. So when I love my wife or when I love That's right. my kids, part of that is actually a you can't be controlling yeah. and loving. You can be powerful. You can be influential. Yeah. You can you can intervene in certain situations, but you can't control. Yeah. And so where, where this kind of work gets worked out in practical theology, which is where I think it's most helpful, it's like I said, if this helps you to continue in your relationship with Jesus at a practical level, then I think it can be a good thing, particularly if you're willing to go, this might be how things are, but I'm not going to stake my flag on it because yeah. I don't fully know. But where it gets worked out at a practical level is going, you or me, Benj, no, not many people who have Christian faith would have a problem with the statement I can choose to participate with what God is doing or I can choose to reject it. Mm. You know, if we have this kind of doctrine of bearing the image of God, it's the next logical step, which most people would believe without batting an eyelid, is that we can participate in bearing the image of God the way it was intended or we can sin and reject it. Mm. Um, the next step in this kind of view of, of theism would be what if everything in the universe has that capacity to some extent. Mm. So what if even a cancer cell has the, you know, and it gets a bit, it gets a bit weird, but sure, thinking yeah. what if even our cells and there's, you know, quantum physics demonstrates that stuff at this micro level of the universe behaves in weird ways. What if some of it can choose to participate in or reject what God is doing in any given moment? Yeah. And so what if when healing occurs, it's like people are praying and God is doing what God is doing. And, you know, there's kind of like, a level of participation or rejection. Yeah. And so in some healing events, everything said yes. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, and, and it's not entirely unbiblical in the sense of like the, the Bible talks about all creation groans. Yeah. Or, or um, you know, if I don't cry out, then the rocks will. Mm. And I think a lot of that is, you know, beautiful poetry. But yep. um, yeah, that, that's, that's a good thought. Yeah, and I've, I found that helpful just going – Part of what it maintains is that in every situation, God's desire is for healing, wholeness, and flourishing. Yeah. And so I can still pray with confidence in every situation that God desires healing. If healing doesn't happen, it's not because God is like, I want this person to continue to be sick. Yeah. So yeah. the controversial idea is that, maybe in some of those instances God is actually not able to change change things with a snap of the fingers yeah. like we would want, but that God's way of change is actually this slow relational way, which I think it makes sense when you just look at the unfolding of human history yeah. and even the unfolding of our own histories as an individual. Change in my life generally doesn't happen through miraculous intervention, which I'm not saying miraculous intervention doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm saying that it kind of makes sense that a lot of change and progress and healing in the world happens through this slow internal cooperation yeah. of parts of me saying, yes, I want to live in the way well, the, that. The very fact that there is miracles is like they're, they're exceptions to the norm, right? Mm. So, so most of life uh, goes with the laws of physics, which God created. You know, if we mm. believe that God is a creator, and there's all these things that God created, these systems of, you know, uh, you know, death and renewal all through life. Um, one thing I've, I've been, I just recently read uh, Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans. And she talks about um, that the church is 
there to bring healing to the world, not to cure the world, but to bring healing. And there's mm. a difference between curing and healing because curing is is a non-relational thing. It's like a you you know insert this drug mm. and there will be curing. Mm-hmm. But healing is relational and slow. It's a process. Yeah, I love I love that thought. Yeah, that's nice. And one of the one of the one of the uh, stories in scripture that has helped me find hope in prayer. Um, you know, with all these wrestles around, you know, like how much is God in control? If if God's already got everything mapped up, you know, there's what's the point in me praying? Mm. Um, but there's this crazy story of of uh, God and Moses. It's in Exodus 32, and uh, God is uh, Moses is up with God. Uh, he comes down and everyone's like melted their jewelry down and created a calf. Like God just rescued them out of, out of Egypt, you know, the party of the Red Sea, this incredible miraculous stuff. Mm. And then like straight after they're like, how sweet is this cow? I'm going to worship it. Um, and God's angry and he's like, I'm going to, I'm just going to kill everyone. I'm going to start again with you, Moses. And Moses pleads with him, like, like remember your, covenant remember that you promised to create a people through abraham Mm. um and that's true but like even if god killed everyone and created a new people through moses he would still be keeping his promise Mm -hmm. but there's this incredible verse after after moses is like having this conversation with god like pleading him uh exodus 32 verse 14 so the lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people so the lord changed his mind that like this incredible weird moment where Moses has an interaction with God, a relational moment, and God changes his mind. Mm. That is wild to me. Which even that messes with a two-dimensional idea of God's sovereignty, control, yeah, predestination type stuff. Because like either God is like joking about it, yeah. like, ha-ha, I'm changing my mind, yeah. which is always what I'd planned to do. Or there's some genuine relational engagement. Yeah. So at the very least, it complicates a, a simplistic kind of traditional view. Yeah, and even even in the start of the Bible in Eden, uh, Adam and Eve were meant to steward and rule over the world. They were meant to be kings and queens co-ruling with God, exercising dominion in the sense of like bringing the best out of the world and creating. You know, they were, they were tasked with, you know, spreading out the Garden of Eden and mm. this beautiful like uh, mix of heaven and earth and dust and divine mm. um, that we're always meant to play a, a partnership role with God. And I think prayer has to, has to have some sort of yeah. uh, part in that. For sure. The way I used to think about this before learning about open theism, um, which again, I'm still thinking through, but probably it's where I'm finding the most interesting answer to some of this in my mind at the moment. But the other kind of option I don't know what the name is for this. There, there would be a, a strand of philosophy that talks about this, but the idea that in, in the creation moment, God can see every possible universe, mm. every possible future, mm. every set of conditions that is ultimately going to lead to the desired outcomes that God has, and God then creates this one. And if you could take a long-term view of where things end up, then it's possible that God may still know everything that's going to happen in the future, see all the pain, see all the hurt, but see to the end and see that the reconciliation and redemption that is there 
is still only possible, like the glory and the beauty and the relationship is only possible in a universe like this. Mm. So we always we always kind of have these like what ifs, what if God fixed this situation or what if God just kind of, you know, reallocated the resources on earth so that everything was equal or what if this, we don't actually know what that kind of universe would be like. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. So that's the way I used to think through it mm. and that's probably a bit of a like, it's super in your mind and some people just want to kind of get on with things. But if you're a bit of a thinker and you get stuck on this stuff, I find that some of those trains of thought are helpful in terms of going. And, you know, we're not, we're not God. So we don't actually know why things are the way they are or what the ultimate fruit is from this. Yeah. But if we trust, and that's what I come back to, if we trust that God is good and God is loving then we can continue to engage in prayer even yeah. despite the philosophical stuff. Yeah, and I think it's healthy. It doesn't matter where you land on some of that, some of that stuff. It's healthy, healthy to explore different ideas and ways of thinking things because sometimes it can help you work out what you really think mm. and strengthen your own view or thought or question. You know, and that's really healthy. Like if we just For get sure. caught in one way and think, I've got, to, I've got to think this way, otherwise I'm not a Christian anymore. I think that's the, the thing we particularly as evangelicals, we get caught on that. Like it's like in or out. Um, just exposing yourself to different ideas and thoughts is just very healthy. It's mm. a healthy thing as a human being. Um, and I think about, you know, I was, you know, uh, having dinner with some friends on Sunday night, have a good food and um, some wine. And we're having this conversation about, um, you know, God's control and prayer, actually a similar conversation to what we're having now. And we're talking about the idea of like, childlike faith and that sometimes that gets used as um, saying that we have to have a naive faith. Sometimes it gets used like that, that you have to mm. have a simplistic faith. Mm. Simplistic is probably a good word, but naive. Um, but you think about kids and like there's so many questions coming out of kids. Mm. Why is that like that? Why? 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 Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And it's like that inquisitive mind, but inquisitive but trusting mind yeah and i think that's where i want to want to land like that's great i want to i want to have that i want to have that core of trust that god is good and god is love and i i so wholeheartedly believe in the person of jesus and uh what he stood for and what he taught and his resurrection and that's like very core to me the idea of trinity i can't get my head around that but it's really important Mm. to me Mm -hmm. um but just to be inquisitive about God, you know, and that is actually what an honoring thing of relationship with God that I would be inquisitive about him and how he works and our relationship together, you know, like, and I think that builds a great relationship, being inquisitive, asking mm. questions. Um, I think that's, that's like this, this idea of partnership and growing a conversation grows as we do. Um, and who we are becoming is someone that's, that's more inquisitive, more trusting. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that mix. I love that idea of you can ask questions within a safe framework of trust and love. And that's a that's probably for me, like I, we'll wrap this up, but if you're going to take something practical from this episode, it's um, in my mind, if God is good and if God is love, then God is the safest person to bring my my philosophical problems to. If if I yeah. trust that God is who God, you know, uh, I believe God is, then I don't have to run away when I run into uh, grief, questions, you know, the, the kind of faith wounds. 
I can actually bring that into relationship with him. And a, an example that I regularly talk to people about from Scripture is Psalm 89. The first verse of Psalm 89 says, I will sing of your great love forever, Lord. It's a declaration of God's goodness and God's love. Verse 45 of the same psalm says, Where, O Lord, is your former great love? And I love that it's the same psalm. It's the same person, the same little you know, bag of dust and divinity saying, God, I'll sing of your great love forever. But I know that our relationship is robust enough that I can ask you, where has it gone? Mm. So if you are struggling with the very real circumstances of unanswered prayer or, or grief or loss or the philosophical problems of prayer, then you have permission, you're invited to continue to sing of God's love while asking him very openly and bluntly what is happening in this moment. Yeah. And I find that helpful. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Well, I've very much enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Hey, uh, if you are, um, you know, if this has brought stuff up for you, make sure you speak to someone safe. If you have no one that you feel like can, uh, you know, hold this conversation, uh, you can reach out to either of us and we'd be happy to have that with you as well. But um, I for think sure. I think it can only strengthen our relationship with God when we honestly come with our questions um, yep. and honestly wrestle with God. Israel was called Israel because Israel means wrestle with God. Mm. And uh, that's that's just a beautiful picture of uh, walking with God as wrestling through life and, and, and uh, bringing things out and asking questions and uh, seeing it from different angles. I think that's such a healthy part of growing as human Absolutely. beings. Absolutely. Does prayer work? I think so. I really think so. How does it work? I have no idea. But that's part of the wrestle. It's part of the journey of relationship with God. It's yep. not a formula. It's a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's helpful just to think of prayer as simply crying out to God, recognizing that God is God and we are creatures. We are created by God. And if that's the case, then we can cry out from whatever place we're in and uh, and encounter God um, without having to be God. You know, that's, a, that's a relieving idea. On our next episode, we will dive into the practical obstacles uh, that come up when we talk about prayer. And um, yeah, I don't know, Benj, maybe we solved the philosophical problems and, and just did some amazing work that all the theological heavyweights of the last couple of thousand years have Probably. To do. Probably. Probably. Safe to say. <laughs>